0: Love Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is June June 17th, 2022. Uh, Happy to join you. Glad you're joining me uh, as we prepare to celebrate Father's Day. For all you fathers out there, um, let me tell you, one of the most important and rewarding jobs we could ever possibly have. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about it later on, but really what you need be successful, well adjusted, and most important, happy um, is to have good parents or good caregivers, people who support them, encourage, them, nurture them, um, um, and occasionally instill some discipline. It's a tightrope. Uh, there's no manual that you can buy that says this is the way you do it, there's no how to. We kind of grope blindly in the dark, but hopefully we get good results. Uh, My wife and I are blessed to have four great kids, four amazing grandchildren. And and this is the that we all leave behind. And what I do find disturbing is efforts by the radical left, the lunatic left, to disengage with their own children this whole business about declaring parents who show up at school board meetings and demonstrate a sincere interest in the curriculum being taught to their children as domestic terrorists if they dare oppose critical race theory. My goodness, I was the PA president of my daughter's public school, the Parents Association president. I always wanted to see a big turnout. Parents engaged with their children, encouraging their kids, working with them, There's nothing more important than that nuclear family and when children are left to their own devices and they're brainwashed the way they are in the schools today. And it it just horrifies me to your own childhood. When we were growing up, childhood is not an easy deal. You're undergoing transformations almost daily. Think about the times you had aches and pains and you were told they were growing pains, changing The hormones, the brain, everything is evolving, right? And so, what children need is the stability of a home, if you will, where they feel safe, where they feel secure, where they feel valued. Take that away, and boy, oh boy, and then you add to that the, the media, the lunacy of Uh, The concerns about mass shootings, and there are concerns. We've never seen this before in this country to this extent. And I would argue we've never had more control and fewer guns in the hands of the American people. And yet the rate of mass shootings and violent crimes has gone through the stratosphere, not just the roof, into deep space. And you have to ask, why is that? Why is that? And I think there's a lot of factors, and I'm not a criminologist, I'm not a sociologist, but you look at the movie, glamorized violence, if you want to talk about, you know, the, the celebrity endorsements, how many times do we see people hawking products that they have no to really be pushing? The athlete who tells you what razor blade to shave with, right? Think about those commercials. They endorse a product and it works. When, when some ball player, some other high-profile individual says, this is what I use, how many people foolishly run to the store and grab them up because so-and-so said it's a good price? These people have no idea talking about. If their expertise is baseball, well, they know how to hit a ball with a stick or catch a ball. Uh, you know, what can I say? I, I have a whole big thing about professional athletes uh, and what we value in America uh, and what we pay in America. F- for what? Uh, I mean, I, I wish we did a better, better... Tra- job of training teachers and properly rewarding them. we entrust our children and the future of our country to the hands of these teachers. And look at what is going on in most of the schools around the country. I'm horrified. But anyway, we know the value of a product by a celebrity. So how many celebrities who scream and rail and pound the podium about guns and violence when they make a movie, they're shooting them up, bullets flying everywhere, cars sailing through the air, twisting on fire, people being blown up, limbs flying, blood everywhere. And then they say, oh, my gosh, America's become violent. Well, what have you been doing to convince children otherwise? They come home, they're by themselves, the lockdown with COVID, they turn on the TV, they watch a movie, and what do they see? who should be role models showing them that the way you deal with someone who pisses you off is blow them up and take out half the block. And we call that a movie. We There was a film I saw not long ago involving Paul Newman, and the actress who was with him asked him if he was ever mad enough to shoot somebody. And And if I remember the quote, he said many times, and that's why I don't carry a gun. Think about that message. Imagine if that kind of a philosophy made its way into most of the movies that we got. That we're not going to resolve things by shooting them up. And then you have the Democrat Party. And I'm a registered Democrat, by the way. These are Democrats. They embarrass me. They infuriate me. They get in their face. You have people demonstrating in front of judges' houses. It's a violation of federal law. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to... Get in front of the house of a juror on a jury trial. Because the whole idea is we don't want people being influenced and pressured that way. That is wrong. That undermines the the, the judicial system. For all the talk about social justice, we don't want legal justice. Equity is not the same as equality. So the the administration refers to this as freedom of speech. No, the law says you cannot do that, but it's freedom of speech, even after Judge Kavanaugh um, narrowly avoided being assassinated or shot by a lunatic. Thankfully grabbed before he could do harm. So there's a clear and present danger to these justices, and it's either side. Look, anybody who thinks that violence is the way to avoid dissatisfaction with anything is dangerous, and is violating the law. These are terrorist threats they're making. But you had Maxine Waters running around, if you remember, saying to everyone, if you don't get in their faces. If they're in the gas station, if they're in a restaurant, get in their faces. Scream at them. Yell at them. Is this how a democracy functions? And I know conservatives will say, wait a minute, this is a republic. Well, this is indeed a republic. But the notion of democracy means that the people, we the people, are supposed to be, the the source of power for the government, not the other way around. We're supposed to tell them what to do, not the other way around, okay? We've got things bass (laughs) backwards. So suddenly, cities being looted and burned, people being shot were described as mostly peaceful protests. The White House almost overrun. How many dozens of federal law enforcement officers were injured when they had a reinforcement? around the White House. We don't hear that, but we hear about January 6th. It's one-sided. Lady Justice is supposed to wear a blindfold. The government is supposed to look out for the average American, to provide for the well-being of the country, and as a consequence for we the people. That's not happening. Crime through the roof. Drug overdoses through the roof. <clears throat> and we're being told to need gun control. Well, how about criminal control? How many criminals get arrested with a firearm, they take the gun from them, they put them back out on the street, and two days later they get arrested with guns? There's no shortage of guns if you're a criminal. The idea that you pass a law, (coughs) pardon me, to make guns illegal doesn't mean the guns disappear. My gosh, by that standard, we wouldn't need rockets to go into space. Congress ought to pass a law that outlaws gravity under certain circumstances, then we would float into space without need for a rocket. Laws need to be enforced. If they're unenforced or unenforceable, they become irrelevant and meaningless. So the criminal laws about guns don't mean anything except to inhibit law-abiding citizens from getting guns. If you're law-abiding, you follow the law. You don't look over your shoulder to see if there's a cop or an agent following around. If you're a criminal, your only concern is not getting caught. You don't care what the law says. All you care is doing what you want to do, period. So if you restrict guns that way, but you don't enforce the law, if you don't enforce the law, the criminals will have the guns and fewer law-abiding citizens will have firearms. You want to get the the street get the criminals off the streets that's what's needed and if you look at what happened in san francisco finally the people are waking up and it's not just the republicans i'm a democrat look happy to get guns off the street as an immigration agent i spent half my 30 year career going after uh, drug traffickers fugitives and terrorists i remember in one case a consent search and it's a story but there's no time for it right now the consent search enabled me to get five guns out of the house of a Jamaican drug dealer. The immigration laws aren't about Latinos, by the way, or any other flavor. People, people who are here who are not citizens, which means they're aliens, they're not migrants, they're not visitors, aliens. The term alien, by the way, just simply means any person that is citizen or national of the United States. There's no insult in the term. The problem with the word alien is it provides clarity to the conversation and the con artists in politics certainly don't want clarity. The blue smoke they hide behind are the word games, straight out of the pages of George Orwell in nineteen eighty four. I'll again make the recommendation. <clears throat> read nineteen eighty four. And if you have a father, grandfather, somebody, somebody you want to buy them a gift, whatever else you want to buy them, get them a copy of nineteen eighty four. It's an eye opener. It explains everything that we're witnessing. So he does. So the idea is that we want to get guns off the street, get the criminals off the street. People get killed by cars. They get killed by knives. People get set fired, People get hit somebody with a, with a baseball bat. And we've seen these crimes playing out all over the United States, and especially in my hometown of New York. People getting stabbed and clubbed and punched in the face. People being killed and maimed and the criminals are turned loose, but we keep screaming about gun control. I want criminal control. I want criminal control, and we're not getting it. Defund the police and then telling the police that they're going to be held um, legally liable. If they injure someone, an arrest. they're wearing body cameras, and they're told you can't touch the, the guy's neck that you're trying to arrest. So if you're grappling with someone, and God forbid, your hands get anywhere near the guy's neck, even if you're using a knife or a bat or whatever, oh, my God, I might get into trouble. And every cop out there knows that. They don't want to lose their jobs. And they don't want to lose their freedom. They don't want to get locked up or sued. You tell the police, you're going to wear a body cam, and you better not touch this part or that part. They're playing by all kinds of collegiate wrestling rules, if you will, but no one gave the memo to the criminal trying to apprehend. So what do you think is happening? <clears throat> the criminals are running roughshod over New York. It, it, it's nuts. It's nuts. And people are resigning to the police department across America in record numbers, especially in New York. The governor of New York, the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, today said he's going to have cops go on patrol in the subways by themselves. Had them up after cops were getting ambushed. Well, there's a lack of police officers in New York, and who can blame them after everything that happened, especially with de Blasio? So they've been resigning and retiring, transferring, and getting out of Dodge. So because we have a lack of police, now the solution is to have one cop patrols. I hope it doesn't doesn't cost the police officer his or her life. A cop I was good friends with who went out on a solo patrol at night, which was in violation of the agreements that had been worked out with the Policemen's Benevolent Association here in New York. And Cecil Sledge, Frank Sledge, as we all called him, Frank, went out on patrol and, and some Italian-American kid, a thug, took off when he pulled him over. His gun belt got caught by the bumper of this piece of garbage's car. He was dragged to his death. I was supposed to have lunch with him the following day. I watched the news that my friend Frank Sledge had been dragged to his death by some dirt bag, and he had no partner. He was working solo, and all the cops said, this is dangerous. But so be it. We're living in a wacky era with dangerous people who have the levers of power, and it's got to stop. Stop. The blood being shed across the country is not limited to the mass shootings. And and that was why I wrote my article about how sanctuary cities are now providing sanctuary for the illegal drugs we talked about last week. I'd love to know how many people engaged in mass shootings or other violent crimes have drugs flowing through their veins. Nobody talks about that. When there's a car or a plane crash, the first thing you hear is toxicology reports, right? Toxicology reports. Why do we not get toxicology reports when people carry out mass shootings? toxicology reports when other violent crimes are committed where they could say, yes, this guy had fentanyl or meth or or heroin or whatever flowing through his or her veins. We don't have that. Your requirement, that should be part of the story because drugs impair your judgment. I can tell you that when we were going to execute arrest and search warrants, we were always warned if the people we were going to arrest or the location that we were going to search involved people who might be high on drugs because They do not have a rational thought process. They uh, may well do irrational things. People on various drugs have even gouged out their own eyes because they were so crazed. But no one talks about that. So we have record quantities of drugs freely across America, across our borders. And I really believe that for decades those who want to do harm to America have been trying to normalize legalized drugs. I don't know if I mentioned it on this program last week. I've mentioned it on other shows where I was invited on this past week. But I remember back in the 80s, I was part of a team that was arrest and search warrants and a dog attacked me. Luckily, the dog didn't get to anything particularly vital except my big rear end. Um, and in those days, I, I used to carry a handkerchief back pocket, which also helped to protect me from the dog's teeth. This is a pretty big dog, a 70-pound dog, I would estimate. <clears> then <throat> I, I smacked him in the head with my revolver. We carried revolvers back then, and the dog took off. I certainly didn't want to shoot the dog. The dog was doing what he was supposed to do, protecting his turf. I was in his backyard. We were there with a warrant. But I was taken to the R ER, and the doctor's first question, as he was examining me, he said, Agent Cutler, do you use recreational drugs? It was the first time I heard the words drugs and recreation in the same sentence. And I told him, ah, I thought recreation was, you know, fishing, tennis, stamp collecting, um, going on a bike ride, recreational drugs. He said, yeah, it seems strange to me. That's how we've been asked to describe street drugs, recreation. Oh, what are you going to do? I'm recreating this weekend. Really? So over time, the trajectory is to make drugs more mainstream, more socially acceptable, even as a massive campaign has convinced many people to stop smoking or never take up smoking, which is a good thing. My lung cancer. He was a heavy Chesterfield smoker. He was exposed to asbestos in the Navy shipyard during the Second World War, so I lost him when I was 19. Good that we were getting people away from cigarettes. Not good that we're convincing them that pot is okay, and amphetamines are okay, and that's why I wrote the article. I hope that by now you've read it. If not, please go read the article. So we have an open border that's allowing drugs, criminals, terrorists to flow into the United States. We have no control over it. Just before I went on today, I was watching Fox News, and here's the headline from Fox, Border Patrol arrests of migrant Ontario watch list at Southern border spike under Biden. Uh, border states like Arizona face crushing wave of migrants. No, they're not migrants. They're illegal aliens. There are American migrants. Cesar Chavez, who started the Farm Workers Union, represented American migrants and was diametrically opposed to illegal aliens because of the harm it did to the American migrants. I don't know why we're calling them migrants. Again, we're using language that makes things difficult to understand. You don't call a drunk driver a sobriety-challenged motorist. You don't call a bank robber a, a, an undocumented customer making an undocumented withdrawal. A rapist is not an overeager suitor, okay? This is nonsense. The term alien should be used because it provides clarity, but this is the censorship that has worked its way into the vernacular, the term alien taken out of the vernacular by Jimmy Carter. That's how far back this insanity goes. There's no insult in the word alien. I told you what the definition is, and that's the Constitution Act. Any person, not a citizen or national of the United States. So the focus, as usual, is on the Mexican border. Is the Mexican border dangerous? Absolutely. I've been down dangerous. Okay. Is that the only border we have? What's going on on the, on the Canadian border? Anybody know? Anybody see a report about the Canadian border? I haven't. I do know that a governor of a northern state in the northeast complained that they've taken border patrol agents out of his state because he's on the Mexi- on the uh, Canadian border, and they've moved them to the border. So what's coming across the Canadian border? We don't know. But I do recall a number of years ago a terrorist came through uh, the northwest of the United States. Through, I believe, battle. so that's a border. We have 95,000 miles of coastline. If you remember the boat, the Golden Venture in the 90s washed ashore in the rockaways, a bunch of illegal aliens from China on board. Who's coming in at our coastline? We don't know. Who's coming in at the international airports and disappearing into the dark? We don't know. Big focus on the Mexican border, okay, ignoring. The other, you know, four border states? No, we have fifty border states. I keep making this point. I've been testifying before Congress about it. All we hear about is the Mexican border and the Mexican border, and the real issue is interior enforcement, which is not existent. And then I saw a disturbing report, and I'm going to be doing it about this. And hold on to your seats. Put your seatbelt on. In fact, the L.A. Times. June fourteenth days ago. Here's the headline: Some Afghan refugees now have a chance to avoid terrorism designation that blocked path to the United States. So let's be clear: There are people in Afghanistan who helped our people. They were translators. They were doing all sorts of things, and they got trapped when America turned tail and cowardly fled from Afghanistan at the direct orders of the Commander in Chief, Joseph Biden. First time America has ever done it since the founding of our great nation, leaving behind billions of dollars of military hardware, some of it brand new and first rate. We're not talking about muskets here, folks. And we wound up with an estimated 5,000 terrorists who had been in custody being released. Now the Taliban is running the show. We were told, oh, the Taliban's going to work with us. Really? They've imposed just about all the restrictions that were in place going back uh, decades ago. Women can't go to school, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera, providing safe havens for terrorists. And, in fact, there have been estimates by the U.S. intelligence agencies that within one or two years, ISIS will have reconstituted itself to the point that they will be in position, and al-Qaeda will be in position, to launch attacks inside the United So that means that they have to get their agents, their terrorists, into our country. I believe they're here, and I believe they're coming every single day. We're told that there were 50 people on the terror watch list who were apprehended by the Border Patrol during this fiscal year. The fiscal year ends in October. 50, more than all of the terrorists that were caught in the last, I think, years or whatever on the border. Let's understand what this really means. Because, you know, it's amazing. We're so caught up with box scores, right? You go to the, the game, you want to know who won and who hit, how many home runs and what inning. This is very different. By the way, I've had people say to me, under, you know, Trump we had better than four arrests, under this president less arrests. The arrests actually almost mean nothing, except you have an idea of what's coming, how many people are trying to come. But here's the point about the arrests, Okay. If we really deterred illegal immigration in an ideal world, there would be zero arrests along the border because they would say it's futile to try to get in, especially if you had meaningful interior enforcement. we don't. And that's exacerbated by sanctuary cities, which is what I wrote about in my article about the drugs flowing across the border. So lots of arrests mean that lots of people are trying because they're not deterred from coming here in the first place. So is that good news or bad news? Well, I don't know. Is the glass half full or half empty? Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? But the idea that 50 people on the terror watch list were apprehended, I'm glad they were caught. Meanwhile, hundreds of thousands of aliens evaded detection. Those are the getaways. And meanwhile, something that no one says. It's crazy. I can't believe it. I have yet to hear someone on TV say it. Not every terrorist is on a terror watch list. How's that for a a revolution? Not every terrorist, in fact, sleeper agents show up on no list. That's what that's why we call them sleepers. They come into the country, they assume fake identities very often, which is why they get licenses. I, I will remind you that the nine the nineteen hijackers from the attacks of 9-11 in the aggregate had more than three hundred and sixty false identities or variations identities. Okay, so when we're being told that. We're now going to allow these folks to come in, including the people who helped us. It gives me cause for pause. Uh, Let me, in fact, read the article to you, at least the beginning of the L.A. Times article, because what this really means is we are providing many opportunities for terrorists from Afghanistan and elsewhere to enter the United States, embed themselves, and wait for the command to attack. They're talking about. So the L.A. Times, and and this is like the Pollyanna view of the world, good old Los Angeles Times, doctors, teachers, engineers, and other friends who were forced to associate with the Taliban will now have a chance at asylum or visas after the Biden administration loosened the terrorism-related designation on Tuesday, according to government documents reviewed by the Los Angeles Times. The exemption will be applied on a case-by-case basis after security vetting and is expected to help Afghans who fled their country after U.S. troops and the Taliban took over last August, as well as some Afghans who went to the United States' earliest than officials in the Department of Homeland Security. Let's unpack this. Here's teachers, engineers. Do you know what Osama bin Laden was trained as? An engineer. Isn't that interesting? We've had teachers who were... For those of you old enough with a good memory, you may remember the name George Habash. If you don't, I will tell you who he was. George Habash was the leader of the FLP, the the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. It was a parallel organization to the PLO run by Yasser Arafat, another... Okay? George Habash was not only a doctor but a pediatrician. Could you imagine a profession that sounded more compassionate than a doctor who treats children? Well, George Habash's organization was responsible for the hijack of airplanes and the commission of numerous violent, deadly terrorist attacks. the pediatrician. Back in February of 1998, none other than Dianne Feinstein sitting at a hearing before the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, and it looked on terrorists operating in the United States, complained that we had been, and England and other countries in the West, have been training terrorists to become chemists and physicists and doctors and so forth, giving them the high-tech training they need to be able to carry out terror attacks, attacks making, using weapons of mass destruction. So it starts out saying, Doctors and teachers and engineers. Osama bin Laden was an engineer. George Habash was a medical doctor. So, what does that mean? And what do you mean they were forced? Who forced them and how did they force them? And then we come to none other than Alejandro Mayorkas, the guy who runs the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I came to call it now because of what he's doing, the Department of Hospitality Services. When he ran, the, the unit known as Citizenship and Immigration Services for the Obama administration, he ordered people to get to yes. Even when, meaning approved petitions and visas, even when the FBI investigators from Homeland Security, that's a division of ICE, Immigration and Customs, part of DHS, they went to him and said, you can't approve these applications because these people are linked to a group that has potential ties to Iranian terrorist groups. The looked them in the eye and said, I don't care. We will approve the petition. And they did. And the people who worked for that agency back then went to the Office of Inspector General saying that they were being forced petitions that never should have been approved. And in some cases, the petitions related to those who had hooks into the political realm. Okay? So the Office of Inspector General found malfeasance. They said, yep. What he did was wrong. Never should have done it, but he did it. Never prosecuted, never suspended, never fired. In fact, he went from being the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services to becoming the deputy in charge of DHS altogether for Mr. Obama. And when these facts were made known during information hearings, as he was being um, proposed by Biden, the Republicans stood up and said, this guy's background is horrible. And the Democrats said, we know and we." So this is the guy who now says that we are going to scrutinize the application of Afghanis who purportedly were forced to associate with the Taliban. Says who? Says who? I lived through 9-11 in New York. I was here in New York when the World Trade Center in 93. I happened to have been home with a miserable cold. We were watching TV and the TV went out. Why did it go out? Because the antenna on the roof of the World Trade Center that had been bombed in the connection was severed. The tower almost came down sideways. And I spoke to people who were there. One of the gals I worked with, uh, an agent who was in my office told me she was walking right in front of the World Trade Center garage where the truck had been parked. The garage door, one of those big rolling doors, you've seen those doors, basically blew apart, and the force of the blast picked her up, as she put it, like a leaf in a storm and threw her halfway across the West Side Highway. At least she wasn't hit by a car, but she got banged up, and other people got banged up. Over 1,000 people were injured. Six people killed. And we found out in short order that the people had all committed immigration fraud. They came here. They lied. They claimed political asylum. They lied about their identities. A month earlier, we had the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi, who bought into a courier van service. He had applied for asylum. And January 93, he jumped out in the parking lot of the CIA because that van had a permit that allowed him to park in the park. They could deliver packages to the CIA. He jumped out, not with a package, but an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. And that's the thing to know. Ailes come to America and commit crimes can get out of Dodge. They can s- seek to escape the long arm of the law by going to countries that don't have extradition treaties with us. In the case of Kansi, because of the nature of the crime, uh, our guys tracked them down. Pakistani intelligence helped us. He was brought back, put on trial, found guilty. He was executed, but it certainly didn't bring back the dead, nor did it heal the wound that he wounded. So we know that there was a nexus. We know that there was a nexus between immigration and terrorism. And now we're being told that the terrorists we have to talk about are white supremacists. White supremacists. Americans are the threat, according to the Biden administration. Americans are the threat. I just want you to think of the enormity of that statement. Basically ignoring the fact that aliens from countries that sponsor terrorism have their eyes on America and want to come here and kill us, but we're going to focus on parents at school board meetings because God only knows they're terrorists. Now, I've quoted from this hearing in the past, but I feel compelled to quote from it again. April 17, 2018, the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee, at the time chaired by Peter King, conducted a hearing on the topic, the state sponsors of terrorism and examination of Iran's terrorism network, Iran. You know, the country that Joe Biden is trying to make nice to and Barack Obama gave pallets of God knows how many billions of dollars in American dollars. Yeah, that Iran, right? Biggest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. One of the people who testified at that hearing, and it's worth watching the hearing. It's available, and nobody disagreed with this witness. Sometimes hearings can get contentious. I've testified at a bunch of hearings, and sometimes witnesses called by the other side will disagree and say, Mr. Cutler, I disagree with you, and we have a bad and that's fine. That's healthy. That's called a debate. Uh, That's called, you know, there's more than one side to an argument for those who tell us follow the science. Science isn't monolithic, okay? You go to a trial, you can have expert witnesses who are equally credentialed taking opposing viewpoints. There isn't a book that says, this is the truth, period. Anyway, one of the witnesses, a by the name of Dr. Emmanuel Otolenge, he's with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, and what he said in part was this. In recent years, Hezbollah, and again, we think of Hezbollah being right? It started in Lebanon, but it's controlled and financed by Iran, terrorist organization. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increased and operated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. Cooperation includes the laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement. Its terror activities its told on Lebanon's political system and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shia's communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. So in other words, when people buy drugs to the United States by Hezbollah, we're funding terrorism around the world. You would think the U.S. government would do everything possible to not allow that to happen, besides the fact that people are dying, besides that people who are hooked on drugs wreck their future and break up their families, or maybe you're involved with with child abuse and spousal abuse. Certainly it's hard to hold a job when you're in and many commit violent crimes to get their money so they could buy the drugs that they need to feed the habit. The drug money also funds groups like MS-13 and other national gangs. So this drug money that flows through Wall Street, the banks, and, The money wire services, you know, they're happy because they're they're silent partners. They're crime, if you will, which is why I suspect they like all this. There's no other conclusion I could come to. But that money is being used to kill people around the world, and it's enabling violence in our own country. Besides the overdoses here, think of the cost to the economy. Think of the human cost. Think of the suffering. Think what this does to children. I mean, if you're really concerned violence. You're concerned about mass shootings. I am, too. But how about mass drugging? The 100,000 plus overdoses last year. Not a word about that. Let's legalize it. Let's legalize it. Let's encourage drug use. Let's put up posters in the New York City subway that tell people how to safely use drugs and test for, for fentanyl, which is sent to us by our in China, by the way. If you want to talk about the loss of American or just human life, okay, Fine, let's have the conversation. If you're to talk about gun control. Why aren't you talking about criminal control? Why aren't you talking about stopping drugs? Why aren't you talking about discouraging drug use because it destroys people's lives and results in violence and homeless and the breaking up of families? It's an internal rot that's destroying America from within. Why is no one talking about that? I spent half my career with the drug task. I lost friends on the job who died doing narcotics investigations. They are the most dangerous investigations you can use, you can do, because the people you're dealing with are desperate. Many of them are, are stoned on their own drugs. Their judgment is out the window. My good friend Everett Hatcher, DEA agent, I was with him three or four hours where he was shot in the head by an Italian mobster, by the name of Gus Faraci widowed his wife and orphaned his two boys. Why don't we talk about the drugs that way? But I'm not done, and neither was Lenge's testimony, because the next paragraph is the paragraph that frankly keeps me awake at night. So Lenge goes on and says, toxic crime terror nexus. That is to say, Hezbollah and the human traffickers and drug smugglers This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America. A lot of carnage in Latin America. Think about Mexico, folks. The collapse of law and order across Latin America that is helping to drive people northward into the United States. When you see the caravans, that's what you're looking at. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror industry they could use to strike U.S. targets. And you have politicians from both parties that didn't want to secure the Mexican border. And again, I'm going to repeat what I keep saying. I do it every time I can. The border wall designed to stop anybody from entering the United States. It did not block ports of entry. The purpose for the border wall was to make sure that we did everything possible to get anyone coming into the country and any cargo coming into the United States to go through a port of entry so it could be vetted. If that's too much to ask for, then the compromise should have been to construct more ports of entry along a secure border. I have no idea that hire more CBP, Customs and Border Protection Inspectors, so we make it a little bit easier. I'm, I'm fine with that. But they go through a port of entry. When you a ball game, you don't run across the field. You go through a gate. That's all we're talking about. And Trump could not get enough Republicans to want to vote. Ask yourself what the hell is going on and why that was an issue. This should have been common sense, especially with the drugs and the terrorism and the death and the violence. Whose side are the politicians on? Sure as hell they're not on our side, are they? And that's why when Trump used the word sovereignty, everybody ran to the bathroom. Sovereignty? Are you crazy? Americans first? Are you crazy? And I don't always agree with Donald Trump. I I have my issues with him. We're not going to get into that today. But the point is on this issue, he was right. How is this controversial? How in the world is this controversial? Why wouldn't you want to make sure that everybody who comes into the country goes through a vetting process? So now we're going to let people into the United States, and we have no clue who they are. They're coming out of Afghanistan. Think of how dangerous that is. And the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, was clear about the nexus between immigration fraud and terrorism, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel says the following, and I want you to think about it when you consider what Mayorkas is doing. And this is now the first paragraph of the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This report was written by federal agents and attorneys who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission, and the report was actually published by the United States Government Printing Office. It's an official report. It's not a comic book. It's not a supermarket tabloid, Okay. Here's the very beginning. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining it into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe for reasons we discussed in the following pages that it must be made one. Think about that. Think about that. And then it goes on and says, once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration, lying on visas and, and, and applications for benefits. And by the way, the very first time that I testified before a congressional hearing was on May twentieth, nineteen 1997, four and a half years. 9-11. That hearing was predicated on the two terror attacks I mentioned earlier back in '93. The focus of that hearing was visa fraud and immigration benefit fraud, because that's how the terrorists entered the country, were able to hide in plain sight and go about deadly preparations. You would think this is a big deal, and we're doing nothing about it. And you have Mayorkas saying approve everything. And they say we're going to clear up the backlog. I know some people get all excited. Oh, good, get rid of the red tape. Really? The easiest way to get rid of red tape is approve applications, approve, because you can approve a in 15 minutes, but it might take days or longer to deny an application. If you're clearing the backlog, you don't have time to deny applications. Get out that approval stamp, and you're going to wind up with carpal tunnel. Okay? So now it says this. Once terrorists had entered the United States, the next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj can tell bogus political asylum stories when they arrive in the United States. That's what these aliens are all claiming, political asylum. And 99% of the time, there is no merit to those claims. But what it does is jam up the system so that there's no ability to scrutinize the applications that really need to be scrutinized because they're too busy doing what? Clearing up the backlog, okay? So Yusuf and Ajaj talked to bogus political asylum stories when they arrived in the United States. By the way, think of the Tsarnaev brothers who attacked the Boston Marathon in 2013. Their families claimed political asylum from Russia. As soon as we gave them asylum, they voluntarily flew back to Russia. Well, when you apply for asylum, what you're saying is, if I am forced to go home, I face persecution or worse because of my ethnicity, my religion, my sexual orientation, or my political orientation, right? They lied. And through political asylum fraud, they were able to stay here, carry out a deadly attack in Boston. We can, I can show you case after case. It just goes on forever, okay? <clears throat> so they concocted bogus political asylum stories, and they arrived in the United States. Mahmoud Abu Alim, both the World Trade Center and Landmark plots, received temporary residence under the seasonal agriculture worker program after falsely claiming that he picked beans in Florida. Now listen to this. Mohammed Rented a truck used in the bombing. This is a 93 bombing overstatus tourist visa. He's an illegal alien. He's able to rent a truck that's used in the bombing. Okay. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agricultural Worker Program, but was rejected, sure, because he committed fraud. Ayad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language class. Students, you see, we're told, don't worry, these are students, doctors. Okay. The students took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas, and after he out, he did that on a student visa. After he dropped out, he remained in the United States as a status. So we have an illegal alien renting the truck used in the bombing and another illegal alien driving the truck. Okay, think about that. He goes on and says, although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, which is what we're seeing along the Mexican border, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system at airports. Again, are you seeing anybody talking about people coming in through international airports? No. Is that a problem? Huge problem. Is anybody paying attention? No, nobody is. And in so doing, on a wide variety of fraudulent documents on aliases and on government corruption. Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s. Once in the United States, terrorists and this tried to get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here. That's exactly what these aliens are doing right now flowing across the border. They would permit them to remain here primarily by committing serial immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum, and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics would remain largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s and up to the 9-11. Now listen to this. Think about sanctuary cities and Joe Biden saying we will not enforce immigration laws from within the interior of the United States. Now, I'm reading again from that 9-11 staff report on terrorist travel. This abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. It remained largely unknown since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. Okay, Page 61 says this, exploring the link between human smugglers and terrorists. In in July 2000, CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there is evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraud document vendors, and corrupt government officials clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. Page 98 says this. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11 hijackers, needed to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status. By the way, for those of you interested, or again, applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefits sufficed to permit the aliens remain until the petition was adjudicated, were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Okay, so now. I, I, what more can I say? I wrote an article, and this is one of many that I wrote, the Front Page Magazine. This was back in 2019. Afghan citizen and former U.S. military interpreter, in smuggling. We're talking about bringing people from Afghanistan to the United States because they work with the government. Okay? So here was the case. And here is something from the Department of Justice about this individual who got a visa to come to the United States because he had been an interpreter. Think of how many insider attacks we've had on military bases in the Middle East. Bougie Saifi, 32, is an Afghan national who received a special immigrant visa and became a U.S. lawful permanent resident in 2009 after serving as an interpreter for the U.S. military in Afghanistan. In 2009, Saifi has resided in New York and Newark, he was charged in the district of Newark with conspiracy to smuggle aliens into the United States, encouraging and inducing alien smuggling to bring aliens into the United States. Almost sounds like the Biden administration, doesn't it? It goes on and says this. According to the indictment between July of 2016 through January 2017, he conspired with members of an, Afghan, of an Afghanistan and Pakistan-based smuggling network to smuggle two Afga- Afghanistan nationals to the United States. The Afghanistan nationals prior authorization to enter the U.S., and one had been denied a U.S. visa. The indictment charges that SAIFI made contact with the aliens and arranged meetings with co-conspirators to discuss smuggling arrangements. Further, the indictment, SAIFI received payment, gave instructions to the aliens to facilitate the smuggling venture, and used email and phone communications to facilitate their, their entry. Okay? We also know... A where terrorists were moved from the Middle East through Latin America into the United States, aided and abetted by aliens who had worked with our military overseas. And that's what we were trying to vet them. Now you've got a guy by the name of Mayorkas who could care less, ordering his people to get to yes. So look at what has happened. Look at what happened. You have the United States fleet Afghanistan, leave behind tens of billions of dollars of first-rate military hardware, at least 5,000 terrorists, and now we're going to bring in more. By the way, Fox News reported February 18th this year, Pentagon General Report says 50 Afghan refugees, Afghan evacuees brought to the U.S. had, quote, potentially significant security concerns. Reading from this, Inspector General Report released this week found that officials identified at least 50 Afghan evacuees who were brought to the United States in the, whack of the, in the wake of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan whose information indicated potentially significant security concerns and were unable to locate dozens, dozens of those who had said had derogatory information that would make them ineligible for parole. The report released on Thursday found that the U.S. agencies did not use all of the available data when vetting Afghan evacuees. The National Ground Intelligence, IC, later explained its review to fill the gaps of screening. Think about that. As of November 2000, I'm sorry, November 2nd, 2021, GIC personnel had identified 50 Afghan personnel in the United States with information and DOD records that would indicate potential significant security concerns. And they they believe, because their fingerprints showed up, latent prints showed up on improvised explosive devices. They're here. And now we're going to bring in how many more? An agency that does not take national security seriously unless it involves Americans. My goodness gracious, this takes my breath away. This isn't for anybody. I remember after 9-11. And, again, I did all those hearings and so forth, all the politicians standing in front of the cameras, pounding them, wanting to know why no one connected the dots. I've testified before a whole bunch of hearings, and I'm one of so many. I'm not the only one, believe me. And we all have the same basic. The 9-11 Commission connected the dots. The 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel connected the dots. And this administration is erasing the dots. I'd like to know why. I want to know what the end game is. I want to understand. Having seen those ashes from the conflagration of Ground Zero land on my house, land on me and my family, see my neighbors wander the streets for I don't know how long, after 9-11, never got to see their parents, their children, their spouses, their siblings, their best friends, just on the street like zombies. I was there when my neighbors came home covered with ash when the towers collapsed. They walked home. My neighbors out on the front lawn screaming when they did not see a family member come home. Cars driving by with flags, American flags, and photos in the window with a simple question Have you seen my dad? Have you seen my wife, girlfriend? Have you seen my brother? You would think. You would think that the U.S. government would put as its number one priority national security and public safety, but this administration is acting in direct opposition to the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, acting in direct opposition to the recommendations of an army of witnesses who test- testified before ever so many hearings, and they're acting against the laws of the United States that are designed to protect us. You think there's any question, go to Title eight, United States Code Section eleven eighty two. It lays out the grounds for excluding an alien from the United States. It has nothing to do with race or religion. It's about aliens, communicable diseases. Think about what we just went through with COVID. Aliens who are severely mentally ill, aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies and human rights violators and war criminals and fugitives aliens who are human traffickers and drug smugglers, aliens who might become a public charge or would become a public charge, or if they work with displace American workers and drive down wages for Americans. Who could be against enforcing such laws? Those laws have essentially been on the books for decades. And over time, both parties bowing to the bribers, uh, I keep getting the words wrong, the lobbyists, have watered down immigration law enforcement, destroying jobs and wages for America, enabling ever so many criminals to come to the United States. And then we're told this nonsense, true nonsense, that the immigrants don't commit crime. You know, we always hear that. Well, people with green cards, true immigrants, really are less likely to commit crime from everything that I could see that even an American citizen, because they have an awful lot to lose. They don't want to lose that green card. But illegal aliens are not immigrants, and there's where that little use of language to obfuscate the truth comes in. Illegal aliens are much more likely to commit serious crimes than any other group of people in the United States. I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division, of DEA uh, case in point. I did a study about who was getting arrested by DEA, and I was shocked that in the early 80s through the mid-90s, Um, something like 60%, 60% of the people we were arresting at the DEA task force in New York were foreign-born. Nationally, it was 30%. And believe me, they don't count the 30% of the population. Far more likely to be involved with drugs, crimes of violence, and so forth. Why in the world would a country intentionally order shields down in such a dangerous era? I have no idea. There's no way I can understand it or explain it myself or anybody else. I hope I make sense to you, and if I do, I hope you will share the podcast of this program to as many of your friends and family members as you can. I started out mentioning Father's Day. I again wish all of you happy Father's Day. I hope it's a wonderful opportunity for to get together with our families, with our children, um, and, and, and just celebrate um, a wonderful day. But, But really, folks, we've got to get involved. We don't need fights. We've got to be sensible. This divisive nonsense of attacking each other, we've never seen this before. We've never seen this before. We're Americans. We can disagree. We can disagree. But we should be respecting each other and having conversations that are based on fact, not on nonsense. And we've got to be careful about language. One of the worst terms I've ever heard is bleeding heart liberal." We all want friends who are compassionate, and if that makes someone a bleeding heart, well, you can sign me up. The problem is that Americans are known around the world for our compassion, that our enemies have weaponized our compassion, using it against us as a weakness to be exploited. We have to stand up to this. Please remember that democracy is not a spectator sport. I thank you for joining me. hope you read my articles at Page Magazine, frontpagemag.com. Check out my website, michaelcutler.net. And uh, check in next week here at the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend. Happy Fathers Day, everybody.